Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the mic, starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlotnik. Today, it is my distinct pleasure and a privilege to welcome Ramon Gonzalez. Hi, Ramon. Hey, Mike. Thank you for having me on. I uh, really appreciate it. So uh, thank you. I'm just grateful for our relationship and grateful to be on and help uh, your, listener, your listeners. And I'm also a listener, so it's, it's great to be on. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you're in a unique role. Uh, and, but before we get into the, your business, uh, let's chat a little bit about you. Uh, where do you live? Uh, I know you live in Miami <laughs> area. Your family, uh, just say a couple of things about you, your family, sure, um, and, and your neck uh, of the woods. Born and raised in Miami, went up to Connecticut to GE. I worked for GE corporate for a little bit. Um, then I came uh, in, up in Connecticut. I did some uh, Boston multifamily in 0506, uh, sold most of them, and then just came back down to Miami, got, you know, became much more grateful, uh, married happily, and uh, I've got a three-year-old daughter. So... It's great to hear. That's the blessing. The daughter is the, uh, oh. is, the, is the most important thing now. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's great to hear. And um, we've been building our relationship, and uh, I, I'm so impressed with your sharpness and your brightness, and we've invested in some of the pr similar projects. So it's been, it's been truly uh, uh, fun working with you. Uh, but talk a little bit about uh, what, what you invest in. You, you are both a hard money lender. You've done a number of those things and you've invested in a number of uh, multifamily and other assets. Talk a little bit about, so what you've invested in the past, just a little bit of your experience. Sure. Um, I mean, Mike, how we made our, how we made our money is uh, wholesaling, buying and holding on the active side of the operation. So we, were, we weren't on the money side before. We were actually active operators like in the masterminds you're in and the masterminds I am. So we were on the other side, if you will. We used to borrow hard money. We used to uh, fix and flip. We used to borrow money from banks. Uh, we used to have a team, staff, overhead. We flipped two or 300 deals, bought you know, maybe 700 units of multifamily in different, different stages. So that's how we made our wealth. Um, and then transitioning, I think, is something that we can talk about. Um, I see a lot of guys in the game and they don't transition. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And yet the question really becomes, do you want to be an operator? And when I had my daughter, you know, my wife was like, I don't want to be an operator anymore. Like it just stopped being fun, you know, managing staff, people, overhead. And luckily we, we were able to not time the market cycle, Mike, because I don't think you can time anything, but you definitely know when you're closer to the top and you know when you're close to a bottom, right? Relative right? So, you know, when you're buying below replacement costs and when you're not. So we did as, best, we did as much as we could to, you know, put aside our fear, our emotional energy in, in 2010, 11, and 12 and bought as much as we could um, and held that and then sold in 16, 17. Some, you know, we sold a little earlier. Some we sold in 15. But where we made the majority of our wealth has been from buying and holding and not so much that might that we were so intelligent that, that to say, hey, you know what, we did this. No, the market did it. Yeah, did we buy below market value at the time? Sure. But the market really doubled, quadrupled these properties and then we exited, right? So uh, I think that's where, where a lot of times you see people uh, involved in the operations like say wholesale and they never really get out of that because they, they miss the cycle and, and the cycle makes you wealthy. I think that the tool of real estate wholesaling fix and flip is a great tool to build up cash and then when to invest that cash and how to invest that cash. And I think a big challenge, Mike, is that they're two very different skill sets, right? 
going out there making money, wholesaling, running an operational business, and then being able to look at a market, market analysis, the skills, a lot of the skills you have in investing, they're two very different skill sets. And, um, you know, being bankable, being able to get bankable, uh, right, uh, the financial metrics, right? So it's, um, it's definitely an evolution. Um, and if, if it's something that you ultimately want to get out of being an operator, um, it, it's something that just, it's, it's the next evolution where you start to make money off money versus off your business and everything else. And sure, could you get to a point, Mike, like a lot of guys that you're in where, where you have a business and their staff, and, but you're still engaged. If it's an active business and it's growing, the owner's engaged. I don't know of any business where if it's growing that the owner's not engaged. Yeah, that's, that's the great, great stuff. A bunch of real brilliant points. Uh, and th this is uh, for folks who are active. Uh, certainly, I concur with you. When you have a strong operating business, you have to stay engaged as an owner, especially if it's growing. Uh, you, you got sort of a, a growing, increasing in value enterprise. Uh, too many guys miss the point when the market shifts and you're um, heavily marketing business where you wholesaling or fix and flipping, that deal flow and the opportunities drastically change and you're still running a um, heavy cost operation and you can't change. And the, the other point I really like is shifting from being a flipper, an active operator into a passive investor, finding opportunities to invest for long term. Most of the wealth in this country has been made in real estate uh, slowly over time. And slowly doesn't mean 100 years even you know, five, six, 10 year horizon of a well-appreciating market can take care of the business really well. So all you, need, uh, all you need is a few cycles. You get a few cycles right in and out. Um, heck, one cycle. I mean, this, this cycle, this cycle has been much longer and much stronger than I, I'm sure you and I, I thought this cycle would have been over already. That's right. So uh, the next question comes exactly uh, following this trend. So the, the, the cycle has been great. We, we had a great recession market, you know, falling out of, uh, you know, the bottom falling out in uh, 2008, 2009, we had a, a, a great recession. And this recovery cycle has been basically 10 years, it's been strong plus. And, and the big question now, where is it likely going to go? So what's happening in your neck of the woods? Do you see a market uh, topping Topping out? Is it going to, at this point? So, yeah, yeah. I studied markets for a living. My degrees in economics. I did a lot of econometric modeling for General Electric when I was with them. Um, so I love markets. I love market cycles. It's just been a passion of mine. What do you think? What do you think now? Uh, I mean, my crystal ball, like yours, broke. I'm playing all sides, right? So I'm playing all sides. People say, hey, you know, don't buy, don't buy some metals. Don't buy gold or whatever. Look, it just shot up a whole bunch. They're playing in the repo market. They're printing money again. Like, they're going to have to print money again. This is what they do. So how do you prepare it? You know, you, how do you hedge against that? Well, you can buy some real estate, really get into some debt on the real estate side, long-term fixed or rate, and that's a hedge against inflation. At the same time, when you take on debt, you take on additional risk. So, and when you take on debt, you're buying, you know, at, the, at this stage in the market cycle, no one's going to give you a steal. You're not going to buy something at, you know, in a, in, a, in a great market at 50 grand a door. It's just not going to happen uh, in, in a primary market, right? So, you're going to pay high, but if you can, if you can mitigate the risk and get some cost savings from the depreciation and then fix in that rate and then pay it in the future with cheaper dollars, they're going to devalue the currency. Um, it always happens. They're probably going to lower the rates again. Uh, you're in an election year. Um, I, I think we got the Trump boot, right? We got the Trump extension. It gave us extra innings. 
Um, I think no one was expecting that. I usually sell early, right? I usually come to the party late because of my risk aversion. I come to the party late and I leave early, but I'm okay with that. Like I'm like, it's just my nature, right? I don't like to lose. Uh, I'm very risk averse and I'm, and I'm okay with just capturing 40, 50% of that increase. Right. Um, but I think that if, and I think that a lot of operators that they need to know their market, my market's always been a history of booms and busts. So I understand my market. I understand what drives it. And yet as these markets change, you need to understand the, the, the market, the dynamics of the market, what's going on in that market and where and within the market, where are you? Are you in that first time FHA, uh, a buyer point where there's a not, not, not a lot of new construction. There's still a lot of demand. Well, if you're there, you're still going to do well. But as you start to get into the, you know, Miami high-end condos, you're going to struggle. High-end condos in Brickell, high-end condos on the beach, you're going to struggle. So um, understanding where you're at and then just mitigating risk. I see a lot. What, what I'm seeing right now, Mike, is just a lot of people not really understanding risk and understanding that when the market corrects, let's say you're a wholesaler or a fix and flipper, the risk premium you're taking, you used to, you know, I would fix and flip a deal if I was going to net 20%. Well, they're doing it for 5 and 10% right now in the market. And then wholesalers are getting used to making a 20, 30 grand, 40 grand rip on a deal. When, when the market corrects, that turns into a 5 grand rip, but they still have fixed overhead. The, the cost to get a deal is still 5 or 6 grand. So, so back to your point. So um, again, it's, it's, these points in the cycle are very tricky. What you want to do is minimize risk, be nimble. If you can wholesale, get out quickly. Rehabs, make them better than everybody else. Price them right to sell. Uh, again, mitigate risk and get out. Um, the, the, the guys I saw last cycle go down, guys worth 10, 50, 100 million go down and take jobs were guys that just kind of, they, they didn't stick to their criteria. They got too risky. They took things that were outside of their normal boundaries and, um, and they got burnt. Yeah. Very interesting perspective. Um, uh, and a few great points just to, um, sort of, um, provide a little bit of commentary, uh, we are staying out of the Miami market, the condo market period. I mean, we are, we are stopped completely. That market, the high-end stuff, the brickles, uh, that is you just is so fluffy. Uh, these condos have a ton of uh, maintenance and uh, expensive buildings. They could have assessments. They could have normal maintenance. And then if you can't move it, and, and the, the variance on a price could be very significant. And uh, you, you can't really speculate it's going to go up more. It, it's at this point... It becomes, unless you really get a great price to go in, uh, you can't just buy it for any objective period. I mean, it's almost like the market is at the peak because cash flow stinks on them. Uh, the expected appreciation stinks on them. So unless you get a, somebody passed away and you get a very special price, you bought it, there's nothing for you to do there. No, you, well, and, and you got new supply too. And then, you know, you're, you're from Russia. There's a lot of Venezuelan money here. Some, there's some Russian money going into more South Beach. Once that money dries up, something happens in that economy. Right. So, so, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of dynamics at play and, um, again, just mitigate risk. If you could look what, what, what is it? Supply and demand. What does the market want right now? First time home buyers. That's there's right. no one building to that market. There's a ton of, there's a ton of demand. FHA is still financing. You should be sticking to that FHA limit in your market and getting in and out quickly. The bigger the rehab, the more risk. So if you can get in and out quickly, if you are going to rehab, watch that. And if you could take a wholesale profit up front, you know, Mike, I've seen a lot of guys, the biggest mistakes I've made on the lending side, I've been loaning to somebody new to do something new, but they were good at something else, right? So they were good at fixing and flipping, and then now they wanted to hold rentals. What's well, a whole other skill set, right? It's, it's very unique. You can find a unicorn that can fix and flip, wholesale, and buy and hold rentals because they're, they're very, even though they're all real estate, they're very different. So um, I, I think that 
sticking to what you're good at is, is great. If you're, if you're a great rehabber, stick to what you're good at. And again, run a risk analysis. If you could make 15 grand up front wholesaling a deal versus 30 doing a rehab, that 15 up front right now, given the amount of rehab and the time and the whole cost and everything else, I think, I think a lot of wholesalers are saying, hey, I could make this. And they're always looking at somebody else's pocket mic from the operational side. Hey, look what that guy's making. Yeah, but you don't really know their numbers. Like you get this comparison, like, like who, uh, you, you know, like a pissing contest of like what somebody else is making. Dude, just look at your numbers. Chances are that guy's not looking at their numbers. I mean, Mike, we could talk about this all day long. But what I see guys on the marketing side that run an operation, they don't know their numbers on the financial side, the financial metrics, the marketing metrics, the ROIs. They're not tracking any of that. They're not tracking times on market. They're not, they're not really aware of what these patterns are in the cycles. And you could see them if you're just paying attention. Yeah, yeah, another great point. If you are a brilliant marketer, if you are a great salesperson, you probably are not necessarily a good data guy and you should stick with what you're good at. Uh, if you're good at wholesaling, stick with it and uh, take, take your spread and move on and live, live the risk with somebody else. Uh, but let, let's shift the discussion a little bit. So we, we've talked, uh, kind of focusing a little bit on active. From a passive real estate investment perspective, um, what do you like today? I mean, what, what do you see the areas of opportunity? Some things we've invested uh, in, uh, in similar projects. We certainly like distressed debt if it's, if it's bought at the right price. Uh, we do I like, like the it. debt side. I, I love it. Right now in the current market cycle, if you can get double-digit returns on the debt side with high liquidity, I like that. Um, I also love the long-term equity play, but you've got to make that you've got to make that extra premium on the return for the illiquidity of the investment plus and the risk. being higher up on the capital stack, right? So that's right. So what, where do you see the opportunities? What what have you been able to invest hard, in I, lately? I, I, I love hard money. I love hard money secured by by you know first-time homebuyer type neighborhoods or something in the in the Midwest where you're doing you know turnkey type model. So I like I like that kind of debt. Um, yeah, it's what's more challenging is you better, you know, turn the money over a few times, but it's, it's, it's just part of the, you know, part of the business. Um, I like some of the gap funding on the multifamily side. If you've got a good, strong, proven operator where you come in and help them, help them fund that until they close. What else do I like? I'm not opposed again, being on the equity side. So we just did a, you know, 60 unit deal out in Atlanta when we spoke about that. So, uh, but again, how do you mitigate risk? How do you control that debt? Um, and understanding that, that there's got to be a higher return for you being a liquid um, and taking on that risk. You know, if, if you if you know, if you can make a similar return being on the debt side, you know, in the first position versus uh, being on the equity side behind the debt on a on a kind of value add, because any deal that's not value add right now on the multifamily side or, or even the commercial side, it, you're, you're probably looking at low single digit, maybe. 10, 12% return. So that really doesn't juice us because we don't take on a lot, of, a lot of additional leverage and debt. Most of it's our money. We have some investors, but most of it's our own money that we've made from our own business. So we, and at this point, we don't want to open up a fund or have, you know, like, like I like my lifestyle right now and I like spending time with my daughter and I like working out and that yeah. may change in the future. But right now we have enough of what we have. And um, so, and we, and we want to get higher returns on that capital. So um, we like the debt a lot. Not that saying we're not opposed to equity. Um, and that's, that's what I'm looking. I'm looking to mitigate risk, um, keep liquidity high unless the opportunity is really worth it in a great market that we like long term. Yeah, great, great points. Uh, I, I certainly concur with you. Um, yeah, we, it's funny how great minds think alike. And um, uh, yeah, I have to say that well, 
the the core assets today are just fully priced. I mean, that's what they call core. They, they produce uh, low yield and with or without leverage, because the cap rate is so low, you really can't create a much spread between the um, the cap rate and the um, uh, the debt uh, uh, the debt interest rate, and that that spread is so thin, you really can't uh, create enough cash flow, and and the the bank requirements squeeze you as well. That service coverage ratio. Uh, so I, I concur that uh, leveraging is too risky. Uh, going into core projects, you have very limited upside. Uh, uh, the, the, the only real upside in the core projects is if the rates drop further, right? If the rates drop further, the cap rates may uh, may follow. Uh, U.S. may be going sort of towards the Japan model. As much as we see sort of a street inflation, right? You go buy milk, you go buy food products, it feels like the prices are going up. Um, the reported um, CPI, the, the, the inflation rate is low. It's it's uh, it's 2 to 2.0. 2% in that range, uh, but it feels like the Fed is printing money at a, at a, at a pace a whole lot faster than the, um, uh, than the reported CPI. So well, yeah, I mean, you look, look at where they're spending the money, right? Because then, then they'll, they'll go into harmonics or whatever they call it, and they'll, and they'll play with the rates, but you're not looking at tuition. You're not looking, you know what I mean, Mike? Wait till our kids go to school. I mean, that's gone through the roof. That's quadrupled in Valley, right? Or, or maybe more. So it depends on where. And then a lot of times they'll do substitution as you look at that CPI model. They'll say, hey, you no longer like steak. You no longer like grass-fed steak. You like, yeah. you know, you'll do something, right? So they, they play with the numbers. Um, and I'm not like a conspiracy. They, they just do. Like, it just is what it is. But um, there's definitely inflation. Um, I, I think just to change up gears a, a second is I want to really differentiate between passive and active. And then like a, what I call pactive, like a, like a hybrid, right? Because we, we're probably in the pactive. We're a hybrid. But a lot of guys, I see that in the wholesale and fix and flip space, they'll say, hey, I want to go be passive and multifamily. And they'll, and they'll go GP a deal. They'll go raise capital for a deal. And like, what you just did is trade one job for the other. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, let's call a spade a spade. Because we were just on the GP side of a deal. And it's a lot of freaking work. I mean, raising capital, underwriting a deal, getting the loan, sponsoring. Like, it's, it's work. So, um, uh, you know, this is kind of where investing with a guy like Mike, if you're an active operator or investing with someone where you get out of the way, you, you, you focus on your main thing and making money there. Something I should have done way back when, rather than me learning how to do these things. Again, it was my path. It is what it is. Um, and I'm grateful for it. And yet at the same time, what I should have done is focused on one or two things and then taken that money and found a great operator and let them do their thing. Um, I, I would have been much further along and, and gone bigger, faster, but because I wanted to do it myself, I only got to like 100 units and I go, this is not for us. And then we sold everything, right? So um, there, don't, don't, don't create another job for yourself. If you're wholesaling or fixing and flipping and saying, hey, look at this guy. He's, you know, look at this guy or a couple guys, you know, look at this guy. He, he makes it seem easy. He just, he just got $100 million. Dude, none of that's easy. They're, they're, they're humping it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So great, great points. Uh, I, I love your, your methodology here. So let me just kind of translate this. Again, I'm, I'm just providing commentary on really, really good points. So passive versus active. And uh, I, ask, I like to ask these questions. Are you investing to learn or are you learning to invest? And where, why is this question? Well, the question is, if you, are, you can't be a jack of all trades. If you're a specialist in one thing and you're going into something else, you're basically investing to learn. So you're making an investment and you're most likely not going to get what you want. You're going to gain experience <laughs> and experience is what you get when you get, don't get what you want. 
So the bottom line is if you're going to invest and take active role in any business, and real estate is a business, and if it's a specialty like multifamily, some kind of heavy value-add project, and you don't have that experience, you will pay dearly for, uh, for your education. Uh, well, at I, least I just did, and I knew what I was doing. Yeah, it's, it's not easy, even if you know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, for sure, you're going to be paying for the education. So uh, the, the thought here is, for sure, as much as possible, invest with strong, experienced operators who have their act together. They do have a track record. Now, the next question will be quality of a deal flow, right? Even strong, experienced operators struggle to find significantly good deal flow in this environment because all the asset prices are high. The value add work is significant. Um, so what do you do? And, and the answer is you still stick with fundamentals, right? You, you find good people first and you invest with good people. I agree with you. It's, it's investing 100%. with experienced really operators solves you a lot of aggravation, a lot of mistakes that you can avoid. And the second point is quality of projects. Yeah, it, they have to be value adds. And what's interesting is um, recently we've made some investments into projects. And one of the projects, I, I think I sent you uh, that Sandstones project, um, you didn't have time to, to, to come in in the project. I'm not sure. But the, the point was that was a moderate to light value add. So if you have a very competent operator and you can avoid super heavy value add, which is a lot of risk. So if you do heavy value add and the execution of the strategy fails, you're screwed. I mean, you're going to have unfinished product. You can't raise the rents. You're going to have delays, violations, and so on. But if you can execute a light value add, maybe that's an area of decent opportunity where you take less risk uh, than a heavy value add at the same time, you still have the upside of light renovations and rents increases. I mean, that's sort of what I'm thinking. And you don't have a, a cash flow problem where you start with no cash flow and for two years you struggle because the value add generates no cash flow. So, well, I, any I thoughts it. on this? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I wrote down a couple things, two thoughts. One, I think Ray Dalio nailed this in terms of risk premium, right? The risk premium in this market right now, someone will jump into a 15, 18% IRR deal with a heavy value add, you know, buying the building 20% occupied. They'll come into that deal and, you know, they'll, they'll expect the same kind of split as a stabilized with some upside where they've hedged a lot of risk. You know, there, there's not, a, there's not, a, there's not, you know, a short-term loan on the deal at someone's personal guarantee and then they got to get out, right? So, I, I think understanding how to mitigate risk in this environment becomes critical and understanding that, hey, if you're going to take on that additional uh, heavy value add risk, cool. Am I being compensated fairly for that risk? Because what I'm seeing in the market right now is, is people don't know how to make that risk assessment, one, for their personal profile. They think they're taking on more than what they need to, and they think that their risk aversion is actually higher than what it really is. So it's too, they don't know their own risk tolerances, but more importantly, like, why are they taking on the additional risk without additional upside? It doesn't make any sense to me. So that's a lot of what I'm seeing. But let me provide one quick comment on this. Yesterday, I was reading an article. Uh, I, I don't remember the professor's name. I think he was a Wharton professor, uh, one of the business professors out of Wharton. And that was exactly his comment. That's what's happening in the stock market. Investors are just ignoring risk. They're completely ignoring the risk. Uh, and uh, as if it didn't exist. So the risk-adjusted return concept seems to be... 100%. Yeah, so it seems to be they're assuming the levels of risk of a perfect environment while the risk level is significantly higher. So if we continue to operate in a world of perfection, they may succeed. But if the risk actually materializes, that's where the, the, the beating will come. And uh, 
Well, and, 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 and what the other thing is, in, in addition to what you're saying is, look, if you're going to do a heavy value add type deal, then get a larger piece of the deal or ask for more. Like, if you're okay with the risk and you can live with it, like you can, you can, you can afford to lose that money or whatever, it's, it's your higher risk bucket. But then get more upside for it. Like, I, I just don't, they're, 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 it's the same upside for both deals. Like, why wouldn't you go with the lower risk one? I'll tell you what's happening. There's a lot of dumb and dumber money. You've heard me use this term. Uh, so what's happening is, and I'm negotiating some deals with some top CG guys, some really smart, smart guys, and they have a lot of mom and pop money, really uh, dumb and dumb money, just giving them money without any consideration for risk on the terms that are not fair. So when you, when you, when the investors are taking an unfair shake, they're taking not enough uh, upside in the deal. If the deal runs reasonably well, they get, they're going to make this in return. But if the deal goes to crap, they're going to lose the money. So the risk adjustment and the compensation is not there. And the primary driver is- Is that on the sponsor is, or is that on the operator, right? Because, excuse me, is that on the operator or, or is that on the investor, right? Well, look, it's on the, it's it's on the investor. The sponsor is trying to raise the money at the lowest cost of capital. Right. Right. It's so they're going the to their mom and pops. Homework. Look, there's That's books right. out there. I just read this book, uh, Investing in Real Estate Private Equity by Sean Cook. It's- um. Great book. The guy runs, he's, he's, he's raised billions of dollars in real estate. He runs, M, uh, I think it's MLG. They do multifamily. I'm not saying invest with them. He wrote it under a dummy name. Um, but again, if educate yourself, understand what these terms mean, understand what waterfalls mean, understand what, what, you know, uh, what's that other term that they like to use, uh, kind of when they, when they get the money, a catch up, understand what all these terms mean, like get educated in the space, look at multiple opportunities, join other groups, go to investment conferences. No, you're dumb money because you choose to be there. Like own it. You know what I mean? Take responsibility. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great advice. Uh, I have a good friend I've introduced you to, to um, uh, Ryan Parson. He, he has a book called BCO of Your Own Money, right? There's something like that. So th th if you're not in charge of your own money, you're going to make invest, you're going to make, you're going to let somebody else make the decisions for your money. And if you choose great people, if you're going to invest with great people, you'll have a great right. But if you invest with uh, greedy people, unfair people, inexperienced people, uh, you will pay the price if you didn't do your homework. So education, probably the, the best investment you can, can make is edu in, into education. That, that's, that's the bottom line. Uh, what's interesting is this, is you make stupid investments and you're going to learn from them. People rarely ever learn from great investments. They learn the from their mistakes. Yeah. PhD in investing by virtue of losing money. That's how you, I mean, you, you just paid for four years at 60,000 bucks. You lost quarter million dollars by making a stupid investment. Yeah. So. And, and, and the other thing, guys, is do it together. Like one of the things me and Mike are, 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 are telling you about is your network. The power of your network will give you better deals. And then not just that. You guys can co-invest together and then mitigate risk because Mike will see something in a deal that I won't see. And I'll see something in a deal that Mike may not see. And then we start to like triangulate and, hey, does this make sense or not? But if, if we can poke a whole bunch of holes and get comfortable with the risk tolerance and understand the upside, then we move forward. So like it, it's, it's, it's a, it can also be a team sport once you get to a certain level, right? Yeah, I, I very much love the concept. I mean, strength in numbers. The bottom line is you have... Uh, more than one head is it's, it's always better. You, you, you can look at the deals from different angles. Not 40 heads, but a couple of two, three, four people, smart people looking at the same deal uh, can certainly uh, find holes in a deal. Not only that, if they invest together, they can generate better terms. I mean, you belong and, to that and, and five you look of, at more deals. Of those. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. They look at more deals and they can generate better returns and they can negotiate better collective terms as sort of a, as a group. And then I go to a number of member groups and memberships where this concept makes sense. It, it's, it's certainly a, a brilliant, brilliant concept. Strength for non-versions is a lot of um, opportunity working with smart people. It's also who you, are, you associate yourself with, right? It's your top five. If you've got great people around you, you'll do well. If you get a bunch of self-promoters uh, and, and, and great marketers, but not... <laughs> Not sometimes. Sometimes great marketers aren't great doers. Uh, the, the one of the things I said, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go back to my second point on Mike's last comment was, if, as you're building out your financial, get a team. Make sure you have a solid CPA, an IRA guy, an insurance guy, like you know, a, a solid in-house CPA. Like you need to have a financial team. You got to have your books updated. You got to have bankers on your team, and then you know, an asset protection guy. So like now when we make a decision or investment, like the whole team reviews it. Everyone knows what's going on. Hey, we're taking this trust offshore. Why? All right, cool. Like what are we doing and why? Hey, how does that integrate into our, 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 our retirement account? Right? So like all these things you can do, what investments go where? So you should have a team of all that and educate yourself on all these vehicles. And if not have a team help you educate you as you grow, because one of the things you can do in terms of you invest in multifamily thing else, if you're actively out there fixing and flipping deals, and you're a real estate professional, you can take all those losses that they do a cost seg and a bonus appreciation and offset all your tax liability year one, which is, you know, as we were, one of the benefits we had as we were scaling out our, our business with fix and flip and wholesale and rentals is that all the rental losses offset all the active income. But I see a lot of guys making a lot of money, but they're not keeping a whole lot of money because they're not doing anything in the retirement accounts. And so, so actively managing that tax piece and then understanding, look, maybe the deal might not be so great, but if you're one, you get a huge tax write-off and the deal still makes sense and makes something and you can, you know, push that tax bill further, further down the road. There's something to be said for that, especially if you're in a high tax rate. Yeah. Very, very uh, interesting comments. So I'm going to do have a little more commentary on this. So number one, um, active people are not, uh, let me state it differently. Uh, there are active real estate investors and there are many passive investors. There are much more passive investors than active, right? Unfortunately, you can't uh, write off uh, passive, passive allocation uh, losses against the uh, active income if you're not a professional, right? It's a, it's a key. It's the pigs versus the pals. If you ever heard that methodology, yeah. passive allocation losses versus passive investment gains. So if you have, if you are passive and you have passive investment uh, gains from real estate, your income from ca strong cash flow properties, uh, your passive losses help you offset and reduce tax liabilities. If you are an active professional, you're in great shape. Accelerate depreciation, all this stuff helps you. If you're not an active investor, it becomes a little bit useless. I mean, I don't want to say useless. It doesn't hurt you. It just carries forward as losses. But I'm with you, but I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of active guys do retirement account planning, whether it's solo K, IRA, and I'm not seeing them use this great tool uh, uh, in terms of you know the, the cost seg and then the bonus appreciation to offset tax liability. Mike, the best investment you can make is wipe out your tax bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's mean, 100% ROI on that. <laughs> but I, what I wanted to, to, to comment on this is people should not be over-focused on uh, just the bonus depreciation. And uh, if you're an active guy uh, and you're doing whatever your active real estate business and you generate a significant income from that, for you, it becomes an opportunity to uh, invest in. So you're looking for a project with significant uh, accelerated depreciation, right? But if you're a normal investor, not an active guy, 
you could be misled uh, to invest in deals that are going to give you all this extra depreciation because it doesn't do anything. So I just want to yeah, clarify. If you're even, active, even, even if you're acting for passive, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. There's still The deal still has, the deal has, has to, to make, make sense. sense. Bingo. It could also make even more sense if you're active. That's right. The deal has to make a great economic sense even without tax benefit. If it does, great. If you're just doing it for tax benefits, um, you should certainly be aware that the deal itself may be so-so because it's a lipstick on a pig. It could be a lipstick on a pig. So. And then the last piece that both guys could do, passive or active, is these retirement accounts. I mean, right, if right. you can avoid the taxes, especially any short-term debt on the debt side, if you could use your IRA, solo candies, vehicles, I mean, as, to the extent that you don't need that money right now, I mean, it's a great, the thing is it's long-term, it's, it's clunky, it's hard to get money in there, right? But long-term, it makes a lot of sense. I, I, you know, you're preaching to the converted, as they say. Uh, we have a newsletter that just came out, January 2020 newsletter, uh, where I cover one of these concepts. Um, how do you invest in uh, real estate for long-term with your self-directed IRA? And uh, we, we, we're almost out of time on this, on this podcast. But I encourage folks to go read it because it actually talks about uh, leveraging a financial friend, how to help acquire an asset where your IRA would not be subject to you a bit uh, and will, would not be uh, at that risk. So there's some, some concepts of financial friends, making a second lien loan out of your IRA to provide the down payment funds, buying an option on a property. But it's a great concept how you can accelerate your self-directed IRA through lending some money out of it and buying an option on, on an asset with leverage. So it's another conversation, but you're certainly preaching to the converted on that subject. Okay. So, thank you, uh, Ramon, quite, quite a lot. I appreciate your wisdom um, and your high energy uh, on thank this call. You. you kind of wake me up. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit slower talker, but you, you certainly uh, got me going here. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, if folks wanted to reach out to you, uh, wanted to chat with you, is there a way to reach you? Is there a good email? Just any um, thoughts? Uh, I think the best way to reach out to me is I'm on Facebook as Ramon, R-A-M-O-N, Gonzalez. We also have a podcast. It's called Both On Board. You can follow me and my wife. Um, we help entrepreneur, entrepreneur couples co-create the life and business of the dream. We talk about spirituality. We talk about uh, personal growth, and we talk about finances and where they all meet and how to do it together because everything we've done, we've done together. How do they find the podcast? Is it on, on it's iTunes? On, it's on everything, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on everything. It's, it's called Both On Board. Both On Board. Both On Board, yep. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your wisdom. Uh, looking forward to a great year working with you on many fronts. appreciate your time, and I think we are out of time. So. Awesome, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having us on. I'm grateful for you, and uh, I'm excited to do more with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's Slotnik. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.